The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. As we approach the 150th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, we turn our attention today to the battle that made the preliminary announcement of the proclamation possible, the Battle of Antietam and the Battle at South Mountain that preceded it. We'll be talking with an author who has looked at these struggles from the bottom up, the author of Antietam, The Soldier's Battle. His name is John Michael Priest, and he'll be our guest today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich coming to you from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, as always, but as always not speaking for the university, just for myself. With a new season underway, we just started last week, had Harold Holzer on the show, and that was a very enjoyable conversation, certainly from uh, from my point of view. I hope you enjoyed it as much. I always get a kick out of hearing what Harold is up to. And Today, we go back to, uh, from general Lincoln uh, talk to more specific looks at the, uh, the war itself, in particular, uh, the battle, uh, battles of 1862, South Mountain and Antietam will be our subject. Before we get there, a quick reminder that we have, uh, as always, uh, interesting shows coming up in the future, and uh, next week we will not have a live show. I'll be speaking, not even speaking actually, just attending the uh, Lincoln Studies Center annual Board of Directors or Board of Advisors meeting at Knox College in Galesburg. Knox College, of course, is one of the sites of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and they have a, a center there that Doug Wilson, Rodney Davis run that does admirable work in editing and producing Lincoln-related materials, and they will be doing that. Uh, uh, to help do that, they call a few of us to come in every once in a while and give them some commentary 
on what they're doing, and we get to do that next week. So no live show. We'll come back the following week. Uh, Christian McWhorter will be talking about Civil War music, and uh, we'll go forward from there. For the latest, you can always look at www.impedimentsofwar.org. That's the Civil War Companion website. You can post uh, messages to the Facebook uh, page that goes along with that. I will. I always look at those. It's always interesting to see who likes the show. Who uh, there's no option not to like the show, but uh, if if you like it, feel free to check that out and click on the appropriate button. And you can in, make inquiries there, make author suggestions. You can also send me email, as people often do. I'm happy to respond to that. And if you click on the PayPal button on the impedimentsofwar.org website, you can send your money to civilwartr at aol.com, which I then use to buy books and pretzels to eat while reading the books and, oh, perhaps a fashionable t-shirt to wear while eating the pretzels and reading the books, really whatever I want. Just a reminder, it's not a, a 501c3. You can't deduct the contribution because there's no telling what I will do with it. But I will send you a copy of All for the Regiment, uh, or Did Lincoln Own Slaves, if you're interested in either of those books, and I'd be happy to sign them for you as well. So, we go forward today with our guest, uh, John Michael Priest, author of uh, several Civil War battle books, including Antietam, the Soldier's Battle, which I'm looking at right here. Uh, Mr. Priest, are you there? Yes, I am. Ah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you on. You you, you go by Mike. I, I know we've emailed back. Yes, I go by Mike. Uh, and please call me Jerry. Uh, okay. Time. The ha- having a name that's not the same as one's printed name is useful. I find because whenever I get a phone call and somebody says it's Gerald there, I know it's you know somebody's going to sell me something or it's a poll or it's not anybody who knows me in real life. Uh, I guess you <laughs> had that defense too, right? Yes, usually I get called my full name when I'm in trouble, or it's a bill collector. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so you want to watch for that when you hear the full name. Uh, I, I know. Yes, I've done something wrong. Yes. <laughs> now you and I haven't met uh, in person, but I've certainly known your work for a while. Uh, tell our listeners about your 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 day job. What do you do when you're not writing about the Civil War? Well, I had been a school teacher, high school teacher, until January 1st, 2011, and I retired after 30 and a half years. Uh, now I'm a certified guide at Antietam, and uh, basically keeping up on housework and things that I need to do. <laughs> so it's kind of quiet. What everybody I speak to who's retired, especially recently retired, says they find uh, they're busier than ever. Do you find that to be the case? Yes. Yes. There's, there never seems to be any loose strings anywhere. It's always something to get into, which is good. It is good. You want to keep busy, obviously, find new things to do at all times and uh, uh, make things happen. Well, the uh, uh, the books you've written here, I want to get into that. You said you're, you're now a certified uh, guide at Antietam, uh, and you wrote about that battle. Uh, I'm looking at the date here. It goes back to originally 1989, uh, White Main Press, uh, well, actually Oxford University Press. Well, uh, yeah, what happened is White Main published it mm-hmm. in hardbound in 
was released in April of 1989, went through two print runs, and then Oxford bought the rights, and we've just gotten the rights back, and we're in the process of re-editing and republishing the book through White Mane again. That's very interesting. Now, White Mane publishes a lot of Civil War books. It's a specialty They had started out that way, yes. And so I'm curious, when you went to Oxford, did they ask you to change anything, or did you review it? Uh, no. What happened is that's all handled through the publisher, mm-hmm. so there were no editing changes made at that time. Uh, since then, when we've, we get the book back, over the last 20-some years, there's been new material, or there's been some minor errors that have to be straightened out, and we're taking the time to do that for this paperback edition that's coming out Hopefully, by Christmas, I hope. It's a slow oh. process, but I want it done right. Absolutely. Well, this, uh, I mean, it's interesting because one of the things I, I frequently comment on is how uh, you have really interesting work done on the Civil War by people who are not full time professional historians, and often it's not published by academic presses. But here we have an example of one that, that starts with White Main, but Oxford University Press uh, sees what's in it and, and picks it up. And then over time, now you, you've got it back and you can update it, and that will be something for everyone to look forward to. Uh, when you were a teacher, did you teach history primarily? I taught government at times, world history, psychology. But for the last oh, 20 years, I taught U.S. studies and a class in U.S. Civil War. Oh, well, that would be fun. Uh, I, at times. <laughs> is this at secondary school level? Secondary school level, yes. That uh, I'm, I'm currently teaching uh, undergraduates a Civil War course, and I, I do find it fun. But then uh, I go home at night and talk to my wife, who's teaching uh, secondary school students, and we, we compare notes, and it, it's really two different worlds in terms of the what you can do, and there's advantages at both levels, I guess. I've not taught, uh, except at prison, uh, not as an inmate, but as as an educator. (laughs) I've taught uh, college-level courses, Uh one or two of them, in my spare time. And there is a bit of a difference because the audience is a little bit more mature. Right. And generally, there's there's an interest in the subject. It's not something that's necessarily mandatory. Yeah, they they bring themselves to it, so they're 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 there for a reason. Right. Either you know, either to promote, you know, to help them with their time, or to actually increase their education. Uh, so you know, it's it's been a good experience. Mm-hmm. Well, let's while we're just on the education subject, and how did you work in Civil War topics with your students? Did, did you? Your your particular interest, I should say, in Civil War topics. Before we were standardized with this big thing with No Child Left Behind, uh, generally we'd begin U.S. history with the Civil War Hmm. to review because very often in the lower grades they didn't get all the way up to the Civil War. And then when I had the Civil War class, I'd start with colonial times, and work up through the Civil War into Reconstruction. So there are always ways to make comparisons because the central, the central thing about the Civil War is that it is a, the defining moment in our nation, 
and there's always ways to make references back to it. Uh, the attitudes of survival of the fittest and of the industrial age were created from the veterans of the Civil War. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, determined by I, their experiences. Yeah. I really like that idea of starting a survey course right in the middle with the Civil War, first of all, so you don't fail to get up there, but then it also puts everything in perspective leading up to it. The, the problem is, is that, you know, with history courses now, technically, depending on where you, what state or county you're in, uh, you start with Reconstruction after the students have had a whole summer off and might not know anything about the Civil War or remember it. Mm-hmm. And then some places are only teaching 20th century. Now, that's not the case in our county, mm-hmm. but there's more of a trend to forget about what happened before because of objectives they have to meet for exams and all. So it's it's a bit different than when I started 30 years ago. Yeah, we encountered that in North Carolina. There was a move uh, two years ago to change the high school curriculum to reduce it to a single American history course that would start after the Civil War, even after Reconstruction, and there was a real outcry. Uh, it was very interesting to see the sort of coalition of uh, uh, people across the political spectrum, perhaps different motivations, but all of us agreeing you can't teach American history without the Civil War. And uh, uh, happy to report that they, they not only backed down, but they increased from one year to two years of American history right. uh, for, for high school students in North Carolina. So a lot that, of that, that has to do okay. with the state school systems and with with the people that live within the state. Uh, having been raised in Virginia, mm-hmm. we had a closer affinity to what we used to call just the war yes. than someone coming out of New York State. And it's because of the immediacy of it, you know, in southern in the south of the Mason-Dixon, and within the families themselves. Now, that is changing a lot. More and more people across the country seem to be getting more and more interested in the conflict mm-hmm. and are actually going back and tracing their roots to it. It, it is the people that come to the park come there because they had ancestors there. That's interesting. Now, and the, the school where you taught was in Maryland, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, so this is your, your home ground. Um, well, let's talk about this. this then the, the Battle of Antietam, and is it because because of proximity that you chose to write about that? Uh, no. First book? <laughs> no. What happened was I started collecting primary sources back in 1979, just collecting them, you know, about Antietam because I was fascinated by it, and it started to accumulate and take over the closet. And my wife, being a very pragmatic individual, said do something with it or throw it out. Uh. So I started writing, and it, it just enthralled me, and I got into it, and I couldn't stop. It, it was just so fascinating. But I, I got into it for a practical reason. <laughs> well, you know, that helps explain uh, what my next question was going to be in any case, which is uh, the style of the, the book, the way you've written about Antietam. Uh, I know a lot of listeners will have will be familiar with this book, uh, but for those who aren't, it's not like uh, uh, most other books. Many people have read Stephen Sears, for example, Landscape Turned Red, uh, but 
this is a very impressionistic approach. Uh, it's it's not an overarching narrative of the whole battle, but uh, but looks at individuals almost one at a time. Uh, was that an outgrowth of your collecting? It was an outgrowth of my upbringing. Uh, my father was a battalion runner in the Second Battalion, First Marines in Guadalcanal, and he always felt that somehow. Nobody really cared about what happened in that theater of the war or to him. And we were raised in a neighborhood filled with World War II veterans. We lived the war through them, through their memories, uh, through their difficult times when they're having flashbacks. And it just drove home the fact that wars don't end just because the shooting stops. And I got into reading All Quiet in the Western Front. I got into reading Bill Malden up front with Willie and Joe, and I realized that people had overlooked the guys that did the dying. They were talking about the generals, you know, General so-and-so did this, but when it comes down to reality, generals, even in a modern field, don't always have the control that they have later on when they write about it. Uh, the, The men who were on the front lines had stories they had to talk about to basically free themselves from some of their memories, and their war was much more intimate. It's, it's two different stories. There's the general's perspective, and then there's the perspective of the men who are in the middle of the action, which is a very isolated incident. You know, they're not always aware of what's going on around them because they're in the middle of it. And so that always intrigued me. And I, I felt that the men who were at Antietam deserved something like that, that a person needed to be there with them to understand the the impact of it on them. This, when you say that today, it, it, it's not a, a shocking or startling thing, but when you began collecting this in the 70s, people were not writing that way. I guess John Keegan's book, The Face of Battle, came out in the mid-70s. I'm guessing you must have read that. Yes. Uh, and he was one who argued for this this you know, soldier's eye view of battles. Did that influence you? He did to a degree, but Bruce Catton and -hmm. his trilogy on the Army of the Potomac, Mr. Lincoln's Army, um, Stillness at Appomattox, his style of writing really brought home to me what it was all about. It's about the individuals that are in it. Later on, I did read Keegan, but All Quiet in the Western Front and Eric Remarque Mm-hmm. His, you know, novel, which actually is somewhat autobiographical, really drove home what these men went through, and that's where it is because the people at home have to live with the survivors, and it was a way of trying to understand what they went through mm-hmm. to to understand the turmoil and just how they dealt with it. So, Caton, Keegan, Bill Malden, Ernie Pyle. Mm-hmm. And the people that I lived with influenced the way I approached history. Well, it, the result is, is a fascinating book. We're going to take a short break and dive into this book in a little more detail. Uh, and I also want to ask you about uh, South Mountain as well. But we'll take a short break right now. I'm talking today with Mike Priest, John Michael Priest, author of Antietam, The Soldier's Battle, among others. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and we'll be back in a moment or two with more Civil War Talk Radio. 
don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Everyone has a belief system that they stand by. It's comfortable and safe. If you believe that a hot stove will burn you, you won't touch it. Sometimes beliefs like this are practical, but some belief systems may be protecting you a little too much. These are the ones that might be holding you back. There's a secret to changing your belief system, and by doing so, achieve goals and live a happier, better life. Start by tuning in to Subconscious Beliefs with Dr. Hein Lambrechts, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Are you where you want to be in life? Are you experiencing the happiness that you're entitled to? How'd you like to improve your life and well-being? Take a weekly break to listen to Change Your Mind, Change Your Life with your hosts, Jim and Lynn Swearingen. You'll learn how hypnosis can truly help you rewrite the chapters of your life. You'll also learn to change perceptions of what hypnosis is and what it isn't. Be sure to listen every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Our guest today is Mike Priest. He's the author of Antietam, The Soldier's Battle, also of uh, several other books, most recently uh, before Antietam, The Battle for South Mountain. But uh, we're looking today on the the upcoming anniversary of Antietam, 150th in uh, a week or so from now, uh, looking at uh, that battle. And we talked in our first segment a bit about the style of writing, that this book is not a, a top-down version. This does not tell us what the uh, uh, what the generals were doing so much, except as individuals, but but uh, looks much more at the battle from from the, the soldier's view, from the, the private's view. Mike, you mentioned that, that the soldier doesn't always know what's going on, and one way you, you capture that is that the book is written in, in segments. Within a chapter, there are, there are segments of maybe uh, two to four or five paragraphs uh, taking place in one spot. There will be one in the West Woods, one at uh, uh, the Rohrbach Bridge, another one at the Sunken Road, and it just keeps moving along uh, from here to there. It it it's almost a, a cinematic approach, it seems to me. That, that it reminds me of, of watching a show and the director just cuts from here to there to the next place, which can be disorienting for the reader. But from what you, you said in our first segment, maybe that is part of your, your point, is that this is a disorienting experience. There's a lot of truth to that. The, the thing is, is, so many things were happening at one time. And the idea is that they're in a, they're in a terribly confused situation. The Battle of Antietam is a small unit battle, basically, where men are reacting to what's going on in front of them because of the smoke or the terrain, and they're individual battles. There can be, like in the cornfield, three different actions on three different levels because of the terrain and the obstructions where men couldn't see. So it is fragmented. It is confusing. And that's why when someone goes to read my book, they might want to read a general history first. 
because I do get in on the ground level. And it's it's the only way I can interpret it myself, but it is a, a it's it's terribly confusing and that's what battles are. They're, they're not neat like we would like to present them. Yeah, I mean, Wellington is famous for saying writing the history of a battle would be like writing the history of a ball. Uh, you know, everybody's dancing at the same time. All these interactions are happening simultaneously. There's no way to record everything. Correct. And uh, uh, now, I, I was struck just when I was starting this book, looking at it. Uh, you go into some detail. Well, well, detail throughout, but. You, d- you use the same technique beginning on September 16, 1862, the day before the Battle of Antietam, and there was a, a certain amount of fighting that evening as the armies came together. In general history, the author might refer to that, but it doesn't affect the outcome, so it, it doesn't get much attention, but you give it identical attention, not in length, but, but in treatment, as any other part of the battle. Uh, that That I mean, to me, I guess I carried the message. It doesn't matter if if you get killed in an insignificant skirmish the day before a major battle, or at the height of the charge on the bloody lane. It's it's the same to the victim. Yes, yeah. The, their spot where they are is the most important place in the world because they're there, and the rest of it around them really doesn't matter a whole lot. They can only they're writing about what they remembered and what impacted their lives. And that deserves equal treatment, because at the moment that they're in it, they're not realizing, oh, this is part of a grand scheme, especially with Antietam, where there was no scheme. It's what's going on to them. Their job is to survive and, you know, to help those who can't. And that's why it's an isolated feeling. It's a loneliness, but it goes through all the history of war. Now, when in terms of compiling these incidents, the, these bits, uh, what kind of primary sources did you collect and uncover to come up with the, these vignettes that you present? Uh, letters, a lot from Duke and Chapel Hill and from the Military History Institute in Carlisle. Uh, vertical files, and every library I went and I went through their vertical files. And I found some great, uh, one really great account of Eastwood at the Washington County Library. Not libraries, yes, library vertical file. Mm-hmm. And another one in the vertical file at the Board of Education. So <laughs> they were everywhere. And then regimental histories. Now back then we didn't have the internet, so we couldn't download them like you can today. But anytime I went in the library, I started at one end of the shelf and went through everything they had. Mm-hmm. And it, it might take days, but that's what I do. And I go up to Carlisle and sit in their uh, manuscript room. They'd bring out carts of documents. I go through them every folder, taking out whatever I could find. And that's how I did it. I just scrounging. And, and that's, so that's you, what I did. <laughs> and, and as you say, this is what people wrote about. This is what they wrote home. In some of the the vignettes. You might describe you know, conversation or uh, uh, inflection of voice or facial expression mm-hmm. where the reader's assumption has to be that this is your interpretation of what must have been happening. Uh, it, is there, you know, that's unavoidable in writing history to a certain degree. Is, is there some interpretation in the way you present these? 
Uh, I've been referred to as a renegade historian because of stuff like that. Sometimes the men would say that they had to shout because the noise was so intense. But then, too, as a person writes, you get a feeling for the ground and, and the pandemonium that's going on around, and a fellow is not going to walk up and talk as quietly as I'm talking to you when the air is filled with explosions. They're going to shout. They're going to yell. If a person writes, well, they said that, and the evidence indicates that, it's like reading a textbook. And a friend of mine once said that you can write a good book with all the information you want, but if nobody can read it, you may as well not have done it. Mm-hmm. And so there is some interpretation there. But that doesn't, that doesn't take away from what they said. The fact is, is, you know, not all of them were great writers, and they might have said, well, I said this. But with the noise and everything going on, it was probably a loud said. Mm-hmm. Be- because that's part of the, the craft. Uh, an historian has to write with a certain amount of craft. Uh, too many history books are written where they put material in the text that should be in the footnotes. And they read like a footnote. Mm-hmm. So I, I've gotten in some difficulty because I'll interpret that's what they did. Why? That's what the evidence indicates. And I'll explain it in the footnote. I got better at footnotes as I went on, because Antietam was my first book. But still, you have to look at it what they could see. If you can't visualize it, then the history is kind of sterile. And you may as well be reading a textbook. Hmm. Well, well, yeah, that's certainly not the case here. This is is far from, from sterile. Uh, let me push you in the same direction while we're talking about that, and uh, because I'm, I'm I'm always fascinated by this intersection of, of how we know about the past and different ways of presenting it to modern readers, and uh, what academic training says to do, and and what works effectively in reaching a public. Um, and one of the problems with Civil War history at the the ground level. Maybe problem's not the right word, just some, an issue we have to face, is, of course, people get killed. That, that's the, the, the essence of the nature of battle, is, is men trying to kill one another. And so, inevitably, you have to describe what happened. Uh, and, and just as Homer is constantly talking about the warrior falls, his armor clangs in the dust, the blood runs into the sand... Uh, after a while, the, the gruesomeness of the repeated descriptions becomes almost formulaic. Uh, did that concern you as, as you have to describe all these deaths? One of the things that, that happens with it, it becomes kind of numbing. There were times mm-hmm. I actually had to put the manuscript down because I got too close to the, the action. But when I describe, for instance, a person dying, it's what the fellow said. They... Many of, the, many of them having to deal with that tended to write home very graphically what happened. And in the society back then, death was not uncommon at home. There was a high child mortality rate. Uh, the average man, when he got to be 52, was considered to be an old man. And that's because I think what the average life expectancy until 1900 was like 45 or 50. So they wrote graphically, and it's because this is something that many of them, 
on a combat level had never seen before. But they were used to people dying at home on a regular basis. They had a, a different attitude toward death. But when I put in the descriptions, it's what they saw. Mm-hmm. That's not embellished. I mean, yelling or shouting might be, I can admit that. But mm-hmm. when they're talking about what they saw happening, I wrote it as clearly as they did. Well, because, well, that, that... Uh, that's what haunted them. I mean that that's a very interesting point and and I can understand he's talking about being occasionally numbed by it and having to give yourself some distance that that's that's necessary. In you said earlier uh, that this would not be the a beginner's book about the battle and I would certainly agree with that. Uh, pretty much nobody listening to this show today is a beginner in civil war studies. Uh that that's a safe guess. Uh, we're we're here because this is what we're interested in. Uh, so for all the listeners to this, uh, if you haven't read Antietam, the Soldier's Battle, or, or subsequent books, uh, you'll enjoy it. But uh, Mike, what would you recommend for somebody who, before they read this book about Antietam, where where would you start? I would try Bruce Catton. Mm-hmm. I would go to the bookstore at Antietam has a beautiful uh, eight and a half by eleven booklet done by a young ranger there, John Hoptak, that is just excellent for an introduction to the battle. It is superb. I would go into Jack Coggins' Arms and Equipment of the Civil War. It was a drawing book. It's been reprinted, but it was like a a kid's book on it. But it gives you all the basics about the weapons and, and how men dressed and how they handled things and how they went into battle. It's excellent. That and Patty Griffith's book, Battle, which is an illustrated uh, life of the soldier, it's excellent. They need to know things like that before they get into mine, because I do go down to the grass level with it. And they have to have a basic knowledge of the tactics and an overview of the battle. I would recommend that, because otherwise a person's going to get in this, like, where am I now? So, yeah. That's true. I think even the, the, the cognoscenti will, will experience that occasionally as you go from space to space. But, uh, but Coggins' book, that really strikes a chord. That was a, a childhood, uh, absolute favorite of mine. I it, used to borrow it from the library every six months. And finally, as an adult, I found a used copy that I bought and cherish. It is excellent. It, it's, it's great, especially if, if you're a beginner. Because it, it, it really shows a person very clearly how things were. And I still use it. It's a it, masterpiece. It, it, it is. It, I mean, it shows you know, how regiments lined up, how guns were spaced in a battery. Uh, it gives you a sense of what the field looked like. I found it extremely useful, I will add, as a kid and continuing on, when setting up my... 54 millimeter plastic figures from the Lewis uh-huh. Marks Company, and I wanted to know what did a regiment really look like, and I'd borrow a copy of Coggins and say, okay, this is how they'd space the lines, this is how they'd set up, mm-hmm. and uh, I have, have admitted on the show before, I never got tired of playing with the plastic soldiers. And still I still have. play with them. I miniature war game with them. I have, I have seen your name on the miniatures page website, and we're coming to another break, so we're going to take a short time out again here. But when we come back, I want to ask you about uh, by the left flank and other 
ways people can uh, recreate Civil War battles uh, for knowledge and uh, entertainment. So we'll take another short break. We're talking today with John Michael Priest. He's the author of Antietam, The Soldier's Battle. Also, uh, uh, more recently, uh, before Antietam, The Battle for South Mountain, and uh, possibly working on another book. We'll ask about that in our last section as well. But for now, a short break, and we'll be back with more of Civil War Talk Radio. Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Mike Priest. He's the author of Antietam, The Soldier's Battle, and also uh, before Antietam, The Battle for South Mountain, and other works. We've been talking about uh, his work, in particular the uh, we'll call it idiosyncratic style of compiling numerous low-level accounts of what individual soldiers were experiencing on the battlefield uh, and uh, presenting them, uh, juxtaposing accounts from one section of the battlefield to another so that one moves forward chronologically, you, you, you work your way through the battle, but you're never comfortably up in a balloon looking down at the whole thing. You're always in the weeds just seeing what one group of soldiers might have seen at any one moment. Uh, it's a very powerful uh, effect. And uh, if you have not read any of, of Mike Priest's books, uh, you really want to do so and get a sense of this kind of uh, on-the-ground uh, reporting. We're also talking just at the end there about... Uh, a, a hobby many Civil War uh, enthusiasts or students have, which is recreating battles uh, on paper or on computer games or with uh, miniature figures or toy soldiers, as uh, they are less fashionably called. And, uh, Mike, you and I both uh, do that occasionally. 
and you've written a set of instructions for how to do that uh, called By the Left Flank, which I encountered while surfing the net one day. And uh, how, is that something that you ever use in the classroom? Do you use it? That's where it started. Uh, uh, tell, tell us about that. Well, 20-some years ago, when I started teaching classes, advanced placement history or uh, Civil War, I'd take time to set up games to, so the students could learn the tactics and understand why they had the formations and understand how they maneuvered so they could get away from the Hollywood image. And the kids loved it. They, You know, at first it's like we're playing with little army men, but mm. then they got into it. And a game might take a week because they just had to do it. And they learned so much because I'd stop and give them examples from history after they did something that actually happened. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you just did what happened there at the real battle. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. So they got the same feeling. Uh, they got caught up in it. And it was a great way to teach. I really enjoyed that. It is really effective. I've not been able to do a game yet in the college classroom, but I do often set up a... Uh, uh, a floor exercise of, of Gettysburg or another battle with uh, and, and move the figures around just to demonstrate sort of uh, demonstration style what happened over a three-day battle. And it's always very popular, and, and, and the students do come away with a different understanding. It would be even more effective to do it your way where the students make the decisions themselves. Well, it, it uh, gets wild with 20 students. I can imagine. That would, that <laughs> I mean, would be... arguments and everything else. <laughs> So well, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It was it was always fun. I, I would think it, it would be. Now, are you working on some... You mentioned that, that uh, you've got a new edition of Antietam, the Soldier's Battle, coming right. out. Um, are you working on anything else? Well, uh, I already have out a two-volume set on the wilderness by White Main mm -hmm. um, called Nowhere to Run in Victory Without Triumph. And I have a book out on Pickett's Charge, into the fight, Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg, which has 24 battalion-level maps in it. Mm. And I've got a new book, hopefully it's going to come out before Christmas, on uh, the second day at Gettysburg on battalion level from Cemetery Ridge to Little Round Top. And there are 58 detailed maps in that. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that. It's, it's a, they're all written on the same style, mm -hmm. in that you get to see what they saw. And it sometimes gets fragmented, and it sometimes gets confusing, but it really, um, really drives home just how complicated and hard and horrible those battles were. No, so, a question that 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 anyone who writes about the Civil War gets asked at some point uh, is one that I can ask you about that book, which I'll say I'm looking forward to. I think others are too. But the question is. If you look at um, uh, Fonza's book on Gettysburg, or series of books on Gettysburg, mm -hmm. you get these huge, thick books on just the left flank on the second day of Gettysburg, mm -hmm. just the third day. Uh, how much more is there? Uh, do you have material that he well, didn't have? What, what do you add to that? It's, it's a different different approach. Uh, Mr. Fonz's books are excellent. His maps are good. Uh, it's written more... On a, on a well, it's written on a less personable scale, I think, than mine. But things that I've found out, for instance, 
the fight at Pitzer's Woods occurred around 9 to 9.30. I have enough witnesses to verify that. Not at 11 o'clock or noon, which is only based on two accounts, and that influenced when Sickles was going to advance out to the Emmitsburg Road. I chose to use an account about the death of uh, Charlie Hazlitt, not Hazlitt, uh, yeah, at uh, Little Round Top that was a different that Mr. Fonz didn't use, but it's because it's what the number one man on his gun saw. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of differences in there. It, it's not that it's earth-shaking. It's just a more intimate view of what was going on. Hello? Well, it, it, it is something that uh, uh, I think a lot of listeners will, will be looking forward to, and I know I will want to see that as well. Yeah, it's called Stand to It and Give Them Hell. Now, you mentioned you are a, a guide at Antietam. I, yes. I'm familiar with the, the licensed battlefield guides at Gettysburg. Is there a similar program at Antietam? We're very similar. Ours started uh, seven years ago, and I just got into it after I retired. But we're not exactly full-time like at Gettysburg. We're on call, and we go in a rotation system, but we are certified. We have to take a test. We have to go out on the field and, and give a tour, you know, with, with a, a ranger present, historian, to, you know, see how our interpretation goes and our timing. Uh, we give individualized tours all-day walking tours. It's really great because there's such a variety. And usually, for most of us, it's like 45 minutes to a half hour to get to the field. And mm-hmm. we're, on, we're sort of like on call. Mm-hmm. So it's really neat. Sometimes you just get a call, and great, I get to get out of the house. And it's just a uh, lot of fun. It does sound like, like fun. What about uh, the 150th anniversary? Are there activities... Oh, it's Coming going to up be very in the next busy. couple weeks. We've got a great program set up. Uh, a lot of the there won't be any private tours on the 15th, 16th, and 17th of September. But the park is going to have all kinds of, of pavilions up and mobile displays and interpretive stops where guides will talk about a specific area of the field. It, it's really going to be excellent. It's really going to be excellent. It's just going to be superb. And then people will be taken by shuttle to different areas. It's really going to work out neat. It's, it's going to be an exciting time. When you're touring the field, and I'm asking this as somebody with a nostalgic, that's not the right word, a personal connection to Antietam, and that it was the first battlefield that I visited when I was 10 years old, and it kindled the interest that continues today in, in studying the Civil War. Uh, I, I can clearly remember the the appearance. It was November. There was nobody else there, no tourists. It was very quiet and a little dusting of snow. and Not, not what it looked like during the battle, but what it looked like when I saw it. It really made a huge impression. Uh, what What makes the most impression on you at the battlefield? When I get a chance to get off the regular beaten path and walk the great interpretive trails they have there. Uh, My favorite spot is the West Woods because it's one of the least visited places. And the southern end of the the field at what they call the final attack trail, when you get out there, it's like stepping back in time to the point that you can almost hear and see what happened. 
It's really eerie. But it, the, the, they're just fantastic trails that they didn't have 15 years ago. And with the yeah. new land acquisitions, it's just opening up so many possibilities for people to explore uh, on foot, which is really the best way to see it, but it's tiring. There's no level ground at Antietam. There's uh. only two directions. <laughs> Up and, and, down. And, and those those trails you talked about are open to the public. You can just yes. go explore them. And they're going to have two new ones open, as I understand it, by the time of the anniversary, which will be neat. But wow. they're all uphill. <laughs> <laughs> In both directions, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> yes, that, that's how those things work. Well, there's um, There are towers, observation towers, or platforms maybe uh, there, as I recall. Is that correct? Not not we like the National Tower, Tower used to be at Gettysburg. It was built but. in 1896 by the War Department, and it's at the eastern corner of the Bloody Lane. And it's it, really remarkable. It still has the original steps in it, uh, narrow steps, <laughs> but it's really a great place because you can go up there and you can see more of the field than most people ever had a chance to see when they were there. It is all right. I just don't like towers. <laughs> Actually, I sure I, I don't care for heights. Uh, and I I'll go up there at Gettysburg or Antietam and take a look around because I feel it is my duty. And then I will say I'm going down now. Yeah, and, and uh, then I hang on to the rail the whole way down. The whole way down. I'm actually more <laughs> nervous watching other people up there than I am for myself. I, I just uh, worry about those things. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, in any case, well, this this. Uh, what's the appetite to visit Antietam? And, and I know many of our listeners have done that. If you haven't, it is uh, a remarkably evocative battlefield. Uh, so many of the things you've seen, images of the Dunker Church, the Burnside's Bridge, uh, the, the Sunken Lane, Bloody Lane, they're all there. And to see them uh, in person and compare them to the, the photographs and, and and lithographs really brings home the reality of it. So uh, if you get a chance to do that. And so if somebody wants to get a tour from, from you or one of the other guides, do they call the, the park, or how do they arrange that? Okay, there are two numbers you can call. It's handled through the Western Maryland Interpretive Association at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead and give those numbers if you know them. one 866 5180. That's the toll free. Mm-hmm. And the other one is 1 301 432 4329. And you can call ahead and arrange for a guide. You can request a guide by name. We have a great website that lists all our guides. And, uh, you know, you can even get a driving tour if you want by buying a, a, a disc that they have in the visitor center. So it's, there's many ways you can enjoy our field. Well, it is, is really a uh, a great place. I think the last time I was there was a couple of years ago, coming home from Gettysburg with uh, David Long, my colleague uh, here at East Carolina, who recently retired and uh, has written, of course, about 1864 election and other things. And he and I, Really enjoyed walking uh, the field and arguing about interpretations, which we always do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, that, that's that's what we do, uh, all of us. So, um, 
Well, I, I'm just uh, just eager to get out there uh, to see it again. It's, it's um, such a pristine field. It's a model for every every field in the area should be like Antietam. It's just beautiful. It, it's very well preserved. There's not a lot of development in the area. No. You know, time has no. passed it by, fortunately. So and, you really... Uh, we've always been in the backwater of it, but we, as a result, we have one of the most beautiful fields I've ever been on. It, it is that. I, I highly recommend it to, to all visitors. Well, I also recommend to all listeners, if you haven't uh, if, if you haven't read Antietam the Soldier's Battle, it is uh, it is not the first book to read about the battle. But uh, if you've read Bruce Catton or if you've read uh, James McPherson's short book or uh, Stephen Sears or the the recommended uh, book that you mentioned, uh, Mike, that sold at the Visitor Center. Is that one of the, the, the Battlefield, National Park Service Battlefield uh, series books? I think so, but it was done locally for Antietam and ah. uh, through the bookstore. So well, I well, think it's kind of unique to us. Ah. I might be misspeaking, but I believe it is. And it's, it's just fantastic. So there's another reason to visit the Battlefield and its bookstore and get hold of that. Read one of those. Get a sense of what happened at the field generally. I'm sure most listeners already have that, but do that and then dive in and do the same for South Mountain or the Wilderness or any of the other battles that uh, Mike has written about and you will get a, a unique view of Civil War combat uh, that makes an impression. It's hard to forget and it's uh, uh, an important way to look at it. Well, Mike, I really want to thank you for being on the show this week. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Listeners, you'll want to get hold of the books of John Michael Priest. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk.